0: We're going to be bouncing around a little bit today, but if you want to start, if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 33, and if you're going to use one of the Bibles on the chair in front of you on the pew rack, it's found on page 73, but we are going to bounce around a lot. It'll be on the screen, so that'll kind of help. To get started this morning, what I want to do is ask you to take a self-assessment. In essence, we want to do a sort of a a self-assessment of your prayer life, And, and this assessment actually comes out of a book by a guy named Timothy Keller, and the book's title is really creative. It's Prayer. So, we're going to do it a self assessment. Now, I realize it's summertime, and so the idea of exams and all of that are supposed to be kind of out there and forgotten. We're not supposed to worry about that stuff till next week when the back to school sales start. But um, we want you to assess your prayer life. Now, to do this, since the school thing is, is kind of not where we're at, I want you to think about doing this assessment in terms of you're up at Okaboji and you're on a sailboat. Okay? So, we're going to evaluate or assess our prayer lives compared to four sort of conditions a sailboat might find itself in, okay, if that works for you. That makes it a little easier to do this. So, condition number one that your sailboat might be in and your sailboat might be this, are you sailing? Okay, thinking about your prayer life, is your prayer life sailing? Now, when we mean this, when we describe it this way, we're really talking about this would be kind of like your life with God is kind of like the wind is at your back, you know, see so your sail is up and full and you're just kind of cruising across the lake, so to speak. You are enjoying a time and season of life where you're certain of God's love for you. And, and when you ask for something in prayer, even if the answer is no, you seem to get an answer fairly quickly. You know, you're not kind of left there wondering, what does God want me to do? It's like God is giving you answers and directions quickly. You're at a point in time in your life where you're knowing the sweetness of the Holy Spirit in your life. And and when you look at your life and kind of look around you, it's like, boy, my life just seems to be characterized by love and joy and peace and all those kinds of amazing things. Okay, so are you sailing? Condition number two, you might not be sailing. Condition number two, are you rowing? Okay, are you rowing in your sailboat? Now, this could be described as maybe a time in life when things like prayer and and studying the Bible are a little more on the duty end of things instead of the delight end. Okay, it's not quite as easy for you. For reasons you maybe can't quite get your finger on or quite make sense, it seems like there's a little distance between you and God. You're not quite sure what's going on, but there's something there. You're struggling, you know, with some things, and, and when it's time to pray, prayer doesn't seem to be easy, and, and the answers don't necessarily seem to come quickly, and so you're kind of wrestling and struggling, but even though that's happening, even though prayer's not easy, you're, you're kind of saying, you know what, I'm not going to go down the road of self-pity that my prayer life is hard. I'm, I, I'm not going to be self-righteous and say, God, look, I'm doing all these things for you. Why aren't you showing up and doing this for me? We're not doing that, but we know it's hard. But even though it's hard, we keep choosing to pray, okay? We keep making that choice. So, are you sailing? Are you rowing? Third choice, third condition, are you drifting, okay? Are you drifting? Now, in drifting, what we're really saying is you're kind of experiencing the same conditions or the same circumstances as if you're rowing. Okay, so there is a measure in which spiritually it's not like everything is on fire for you. It's a little bit like things are a little dry. It's not all what I would like it to be. And in the process of that, you're kind of at a point of, you know what, instead of rowing, you're like, I just don't know. I'm just going to kind of stop rowing. I'm just going to sit here for a minute. So when it comes to things like looking at your Bible or, or praying, that's really not exactly happening. You know, maybe one of those things where it's like, I know my Bible's around here somewhere, but I haven't really checked it out for a while. The honest truth is you're maybe giving, your, giving in to a little bit of that self-centeredness that all of us are very capable of, and we're just kind of looking at life about me, and nothing else really matters, just my life. And the honest truth is we're probably also allowing ourselves to get into some self-indulgent behavior, maybe because we're like, I just, I, I don't want to face and deal with whatever the issue is, so I'm, I'm going to do something so I kind of numb myself or I distract myself or I, I have some moment of pleasure. Okay, we can do that. Fourth condition, are you sinking? okay. Now the sinking stage happens according to Timothy Keller when you drift so far that you, know, you have been rowing and you've stopped and now you're just drifting. But when you're sinking you kind of lost all forward momentum of your Christian life. The truth is it can happen to any of us. Our hearts can become hardened. And self-pity and resentment seem to be the only friends that we want to hang out with and they're the only friends that really seem to want to hang out with us. Which stage are you at? Which one of those is true of you? Now, to help us kind of process how we're doing in our prayer lives and, and maybe to think, is there any value in me doing this assessment and all of that, I'd, I'd like to make four very quick, very obvious statements, okay? first would be this. You and I think when we come to prayer, we need to realize that our prayer lives take place in a context. Now, the context of our prayer life is kind of there are some things when it comes to prayer that you and I control. Okay, You and I can make the choice to read our Bible. You and I can make the choice to go to church to try to have an encounter with God at church. You and I can make the choice to pray alone or to pray with others. We have some control of that. That's part of the context of our prayer lives. But there's another part of the context of our prayer lives that you and I don't control. Okay, the circumstances and situations that come into our lives a lot of times don't ask permission. You know, some of you know this. Some of you have experienced that you've gone to the doctor, you haven't been feeling well, and the doctor calls back. It's never good when the doctor calls back, at least in my life experience, when the, no news from the doctor is usually good news. But when they call back, all of a sudden you've got some physical thing, and like, that's hard. You don't really sort of say, hey, I'd like to be diagnosed with cancer today. You know, I mean, I don't think people do that, but that happens. That's the context of our prayers. We don't control that. Second really obvious statement. This one is really short. No one wants to sink. Nobody wants to sink. Third, the difference between rowing and drifting, Okay, the difference between those two parts of being in prayer life is a choice every single one of us can make. Rowing is a choice. So is drifting. Fourth thing, Sailing can happen, but we got a nuance the Sailing can happen, but rarely is sailing a permanent condition. But at the same time, we need to realize you most likely need to be rowing to be in the right spot to be sailing. I mean, think about it this way. Nobody wants to sink. I'm pretty sure everyone would love to sail. But the only way for me to really be able to be in a position where I might sail, is I need to make the choice between drifting and rowing. I need to make the choice to row so that I can get there. Those statements lead me to a question, really. Those four statements and I start thinking about the assessment, as I think a question all of us needs to ask is, how do we row? Or another way to say that is, how do we get prayer into our lives so that we keep rowing, so that we have more and more opportunities and more and more times where we do experience sailing. So how do we do this? How do we get prayer into our lives? Now today we're finishing this short series on prayer, and as we do that, what I want to do is I want us to walk through this morning three choices, three prayer choices that I think any one of us can make And I think if we make these choices, we will be rowing. These are about rowing. This is about getting us rowing so that we actually get to a place where we kind of set ourselves up, we position ourselves where God's sweet breeze could fill our sail and we could be cruising across Lake Prayer. Okay, that's what we're trying to do this morning. We're trying to get prayer into our lives. So how are we going to do this? Well, three choices. Choice number one when it comes, how do I get prayer into my life? Choice number one of getting prayer into your life is form a prayer habit. Okay, if you're going to get prayer into your life, choice number one you need to make is get prayer into your life. Now, to help you understand what we mean by a prayer habit, what I want to do is we're just going to fairly quickly take a look at an editorial statement in the life of Moses and one in the life of Jesus and kind of see what took place in their lives. So, I told you earlier to turn to Exodus 33. So, Exodus 33 is part of a big story that goes from Exodus 32 to Exodus 34. And that story is actually fairly intense. And in the midst of that story, we kind of encounter Moses being somebody who's incredibly bold. Somebody who's literally coming into the presence of God saying, God, I don't want you to do what you're wanting to do. And what was God wanting to do? God was wanting to bring down judgment on the people of Israel. Judgment that, quite honestly, they deserved. Now, here's the irony. If you meet Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, He is timid, he is scared, he is anything but bold when it comes to God. And it's like, how is it that this guy changed from being this timid guy that, "Eh, God, I'm really not kind of wanting to do your stuff, to being incredibly bold? Well, there's an editorial statement that takes place in Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 to 11, that actually you could take out of the story... And the story wouldn't miss a beat, except you wouldn't know why Moses became bold. Okay, Exodus chapter three, it's a longer or chapter thirty-three. Read with me, verse seven down to verse eleven. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. How did Moses go from being this timid guy in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4 who really wasn't sure he wanted to do stuff, he wanted to be involved in what God was doing to where he would go into the presence of God with boldness and confidence? The answer seems to be that he had formed a habit of prayer. So much so that he literally had a place, he he had a tent An established place. He would go. When they'd move around, he'd put it up and he'd go there and he'd meet with God. He would pray. He would have a conversation. He would converse with the king. Now here's something I want you to understand, folks. This wasn't something that was commanded. There's not a verse that says, Moses, you shall do this. Moses made a choice. Moses chose to speak to the king of kings he made a choice to make prayer a habit in his life. What about Jesus? Well, Luke chapter 5, I want to read verse 15 and 16 to give you a sense of what did Jesus do in his life. Verse 15 says, but now even more the report about him and that him is Jesus, okay, went out abroad and the Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus' popularity is incredibly, it's, it's on the rise. People wanted to hear what he had to say. People who were sick wanted to have an encounter with him. They wanted to be touched by him. And Jesus really was at a point in life where, you know what, he could have filled his schedule with all kinds of good things. He could have been busy all the time. But what does he do in the midst of that context? He withdraws. He goes to a desolate place. And he prays. He could have been doing amazing things. I mean, thinking about it, healing sick people is a good thing. Telling people about the kingdom of God is a very good thing. But Jesus withdraws. He forms this prayer habit. Why talk about Moses? Why share this glimpse into Jesus? Because, folks, in a very direct way, I think the best way for us to get prayer into our lives is to follow their examples, is to make the choice to form prayer habits. Prayer's not gonna get into our lives accidentally. Prayer becomes a part of our lives when we make the choice to form a prayer habit. Now, forming a prayer habit in some ways, the choices that you and I need to make are really not that complicated. You can almost say the choices are very simple. I am not saying it's simple to do them, okay, but it's simple to make them. Okay, like here's an example. What might be a choice you need to make to get prayer into your life? Maybe you need to get up 15 minutes earlier so you have a little window. Or maybe you need to shut things down 20 minutes earlier when it's time to go to bed so, again, you have a window. Now, it's simple to say, I should get up 15 minutes earlier. I know some of you struggle with that. I know some of you know your snooze button way too well. Okay, but that's a choice you and I can make. Maybe we need to to make a choice in terms of having a spot to pray. I mean, both Jesus and Moses had places they went to pray. So maybe you need to say, you know what, that chair in the living room, that's my prayer place, that's my tent of meeting. Maybe it's at your kitchen table. Maybe it's somewhere you need to go for a walk to. But you need to make a choice. There's going to be a place where I'm going to go, where I'm going to be, where I'm going to set time aside. Maybe it's coming here on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7. Or maybe it's saying, you know what, I'm going to be here on the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and I'm going to pray with other people. Those things are a part of forming a prayer habit. Please remember this simple truth. Rowing is a choice. And you and I make that choice when we say, I'm going to form a prayer habit, I am going to make time in my life to do that. Choice number two. Second sort of thing we need to make if we're going to get prayer into our lives is we need to, what I would call, we need to find prayer triggers, okay? We need to find prayer triggers. Now, I want to read a verse from First Thessalonians 5 that sometimes can make us frustrated can make us confused, maybe even make us feel guilty. The verse is very simply this, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Now, the reason I think this verse perplexes us, I mean, it's only three words, but why does it perplex us? Why does it frustrate us? Why does it confuse us? Why does it make us guilty? Well, we can read the verse, "Say pray without ceasing, and it's like, okay, how do I do that? How do I pray without ceasing? Now, I'll be honest, I have met people who have suggested to me creative ways to live this verse out. I'll never forget, and I'm not going to divulge the person, but it's someone that I know, and maybe someone in this room might know, but we're going to keep that secret, okay? Um, But here was their creative way to apply this verse. They called me and said, hey, do you figure it's okay if I never say amen ever again? And I'm like, what do you mean? Well, when you say amen, you're kind of ending the prayer, so as long as I never say amen, then I'm continually praying, even if I don't talk to God for another seven days. You know, I'm like, okay, that's creative. I'm not sure that's accurate, but that's creative. I will give you points for accuracy. But I don't think that's really what Paul's talking about here. Okay, I think really for us to understand the verse, what's really being pointed to, is Paul is calling us to live life with a constant attitude of dependence on God. To pray without ceasing, a simple definition of prayer is prayer is a declaration of dependence. So every time I pray, I'm going back to this attitude of, "I am dependent on God. I need God." And to pray without ceasing, I'm finding ways to give voice to that dependence. I'm finding ways to declare, I know I need God. In a lot of ways, I think to live out this verse, what we need to do is we need to find ways in our lives to kind of sprinkle prayer throughout our day to help us live with that attitude, that attitude that's true. I am in dependence on God. I need things to help remind me of that. I need things to help stimulate and keep me there. And when I say sprinkle things in prayer, really what I'm talking about is is I'm not talking about seven hours of prayer. This sprinkling prayer might be a simple thing as saying, you know what, thank you, Lord, for today. It may be something like, Lord, I know I need your help. For me, probably one of the prayers that gets sprinkled in the most for me is, Lord, not my will, but your will. I don't think any of those took much more than eight seconds if that. That's really what we're talking about in doing this. Now, to do that, to, to kind of make the choice so we're having that brief prayer that we continue to row, uh, there's things we probably need to do. What can in my life, what can help me trigger me to pray? I pray a short prayer, quick one. What, what can trigger it? Well, let me give you some ideas. They're not great ideas. These are not inspired. I do not have a verse and a reference for any of these ideas, Okay? But some of you probably have jobs where you have to open a lot of files on your computer a lot, regularly, constantly. Why not just say a quick, thank you, Lord, for giving me a job today every time you open a file? Some of you talk on the phone. And actually, you could probably apply this to texting too. Because we don't really hang phones up anymore. We press a red button that's got a phone on it. Maybe every time you finish a phone call or every time you finish a tweet or a text, it could be a simple, Lord, thank you for the gift of this, that I have the resources to have this. Thank you, Lord, that you care. Thank you that there's someone I can interact with, whatever it is. It can be a quick reminder. Now, I know, again, we're not in school, but for students, maybe you can be thinking towards this fall. Every time you change a class, it can be a simple moment of having a prayer maybe if you're mowing your lawn do you realize how much you can pray when you're mowing your lawn if you simply every time you finish a row just say thank you lord that my lawnmower didn't die again (laughs) prayed that prayer yesterday or maybe some of you I, i know some of you drive a lot for your jobs What if every time you pass an exit sign on the freeway? Little reminders. Now here's a life reality that I think why we need to pay attention and not think, oh, this is trivial, this is silly. It is really, really easy for self-pity and self-centeredness to get expressed in our lives, to kind of root into us and grow a huge tree out of us. Those things happen when you and I lose sight of God or when we think things should go our way. The enemy of our souls wants us to think and operate like life owes us something and that you and I should be in control of our lives. Prayer offers an antidote to that. Prayer reminds us that we're dependent. We're not dependent on life, we are dependent on God but if I realize my dependency on God, then I'm not looking for life to owe me something because life doesn't owe me something. I'm also not looking for me to control something because I'm dependent. I need help. I don't control things. Folks, you and I need to purge from our souls those thoughts that we're in control or I'm owed this, I deserve this. We need to purge that and we need to have things that help remind us I am dependent, I need God. I need Him and Him alone. I need things that can help keep me rowing. Okay, how do you get prayer in your life? Number one, you've got to make the choice to form prayer habits. Number two, you find prayer triggers. You find things that throughout your day keep you going back to God. Choice number three. Third thing, if you and I are really going to keep prayer in our lives, keep rowing to set us up for sailing, would be to Deploy a prayer framework, okay? For you and I to deploy a prayer framework. Now, when we say prayer triggers, again, we're talking about sort of short conversations, quick things. One of the things we do in our family a lot of times is, hey, we might send a quick text. I'm on my way home. It's quick. That's not what we're talking about in terms of this prayer framework. We're really talking about, hey, this third choice is about sort of long conversations with the king, So it's more about saying, hey, God, I need this quick, boom. This really is about how can we develop a conversation with the king so that you and I are moved to a place where we are truly in awe of the king, where we're moved to a place where we can begin more and more to experience the closeness and intimacy that's offered to us in Christ. The idea of the framework, in a sense, is that how do we hoist the sail? so that it's ready to catch the wind. Now, to be very clear, this framework does not come from me. It comes from a collection of people in church history who struggled with prayer before us. Kind of what they've wrestled through. I wouldn't say the framework is perfect and I would not say it does not come with a guarantee that says if you do this, you will only ever sail. It doesn't come with that. But what it does do is the framework really does open up for us the opportunity to have a conversation with the King to get prayer into our lives. But even more than that, it also opens the door for us so that we can experience the reconciled relationship the Lord Jesus offers us through His death and resurrection. Please understand this about the Gospel. Jesus didn't die and rise again simply to get you out of hell. Jesus died and rose again so that you could be reconciled to the God who made you, so that you could live and enter into a relationship with Him. Prayer is a gift from God to us so we can experience that relationship. If you've trusted Christ, you have that relationship. God wants you to experience it if you haven't trusted Christ, if you haven't come to that point in life where you've turned from sin to God and trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior, please, today's as good a day as any to do that. Today is an opportune time for you to trust Christ and begin to experience this amazing relationship that He created you for. He desires that for you and for me. And he gives us this prayer thing as a gift so we can have this conversation so we can really, truly experience that. Having said that, let's walk through the framework. Okay, There's sort of five elements, five components, whatever term you want to use, that kind of make up this framework to give us a taste of this relationship. Element number one would be remember the character and actions of the king. Okay, remember the character and actions of the king. Last week when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, Jesus reminded us, said, hey, prayer really starts with who you pray to. That's an essential part of prayer. So really, if you and I are going to have a longer conversation with the king, maybe it would be good or helpful for us to take just a minute or two, right at the beginning, so to speak, and to remind ourselves who this king is. This king who's holy, this king who's just, this king who's righteous, this king who's loving. Maybe I should remind myself about what he has done and what he is doing that, you know what? Here's this incredible God who created. Here's this incredible God who sustains life. Here's this incredible God who redeemed me. Here's this incredible God, this incredible king who's doing a work in my life to restore me. If I'm going to start, maybe that's where I start. I just think about who he is for a second. Who it is I'm talking with. Maybe a good way to help with this step is is to just kind of remember the character and actions of the king. How do we do that? Well, maybe just remembering verses that you've memorized. Okay, Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You know what, that tells me about God's character. He's good. Maybe I just need to think about that. He's good. The one I'm going to pray to is good. And what does he like to do? Well, he seems like he likes to bless people and he gives them refuge. He protects. He saves. That sets me up to be able to pray. Okay, that's that, element number one. Element number two, what else should I be doing? In this framework, we'll meditate on a passage. Okay, meditate on a passage prayer really is a gift from God to us but prayer is also a response Okay, God is the great initiator God is the one who initiates the conversation one of these you and I think need to remember is what we saw in the truth be told series that was the last little short series we did but 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 tells us guess what God breathed out God gave us his word He started the conversation. Prayer is an opportunity for you and me to be kind of like, hmm, I need to hear what God said. Here's what He said. One of the things that we do on Wednesday nights is a group of people that gather on Wednesday nights to to pray for central and the concerns of people within the body. And one of the things we do before when we start, every time we read a psalm. We don't do, that's, Before we do anything else, we read a psalm. Okay, we want to meditate on the passage, which really leads to element number three, is we do that and then what do we do? Well, then we engage in word prayer. Okay, we engage in word prayer. So let me explain what word prayer is by just saying, okay, on Wednesdays after we read the psalm, what do we do? We pray over the psalm. That really is the idea of word prayer. In essence, we pray the passage to God. We're kind of, this is what God has said. We're, we're kind of going with where He is. In essence, what we're doing is we are using Scripture, God's Word to kind of, how many, I mean, how many people are like, I have no, if you, I ask people sometimes to pray, and some people are like, sure. I've asked other people to pray, and you can tell I have asked them about the worst thing I could have ever asked them to do. Why? I don't know what to say in prayer. Can I tell you what pastors do and we have no idea what to do? We turn to Psalm 90 and we read in a prayer voice, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or Ever you had formed the earth from the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Why do we do word prayer? We do word prayer because all of a sudden we're letting God's word kind of shape our grammar, our syntax, help us to know. How do we pray? It's a prayer book. Use it. Take advantage of it. I don't mean that trivially in any way, shape, or form. We need to pray God's word. Now, some of what happens when you and I pray is we might read a a passage, short passage, we're thinking about it, we might just kind of paraphrase it back to God. Or what we read in Psalm 90 about him, hey, you know what, He's, he's been our dwelling place for all generations. That might conjure up thoughts in your mind, like if he's been the dwelling place for all generations, that probably means I need him. That I can pray about. Or, God, thank you for being there for me. We can do that. We engage in word prayer. That leads us in a good place. That takes the conversation somewhere. Element number four, fourth element. Then we want to speak in free prayer. I don't know who this free prayer came up from. We're going to blame Martin Luther this morning because it was hard to track down. He just called it free prayer. Basically, at this point, what you're doing is you've kind of, as you've worked through this now, you are just pouring out stuff to God, okay? You're kind of pouring out what's going on in your heart and your, I was going to say your heart and mind, but your, your mind and heart, get my hands in sync with directions, okay? We're just sort of laying it out. Some of what this might mean is we're taking time just out of our own thoughts, God, I want to adore you, or God, I want to thank you. This might be a time when when we would confess and repent. Real quick aside, one of the things, I've been looking back at my my ministry here at Central, and one of the things I deeply regret is I don't think I have led us to confess and repent like we should. But we need to. That needs to be a part of our prayer life. Another part of our prayer lives is laying it out before God. This would be kind of when, hey, when do I pray for my issues? And when do I bring those of other people? Right now. That's not all praying is. But it is a part of it. And this is where, in this framework, we'd be doing this. We'd be throwing it out. We'd be sharing it. We'd be pouring our lives out to God. And then element number five then we need to pause to contemplate. Pause, actually, yeah, to contemplate. Really, the idea here from the people that write on this stuff from church history seems to be this is when we're hoping we're sailing. Okay? Jonathan Edwards, to quote him, when he talks about contemplation, he sees it as tasting, seeing and tasting God in our hearts. Martin Luther said this is about getting lost in God's truth and character just having that encounter and experience with Him where other things don't seem to be that important right at the moment, we're just kind of wow. Now let me be clear, we're not always going to have a wow moment. But if we use this framework, we're rowing. And we're moving. And when that happens, and we're not having the wow moment, what the guys in church history and girls in church history tell us, is that at that moment, simply consider what's the best thought of God you have right in this moment. Thank God for it. And then simply ask God in His good timing to show you His face. I really, truly wish prayer was easy. I do. But it's not. A lot of things make it hard, circumstances and situations. But even though my wish is not true that it would be easy, I want you to kind of end this whole series with this thought. Even in the toughest times of prayer, you and I are not alone in prayer. Verses that, for a lot of reasons, mean a lot to me are Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. One of the takeaways out of those verses for me is guess what? The Holy Spirit God, this king we converse with, he wants to converse with us. Prayer isn't something we force on God. God wants us to converse with him. He wants us to touch him. And again, the amazing truth of the gospel, Jesus died to bring us to his father, to bring us to the king, so we could have a relationship with him. And to ensure that that happened and to make that a part of our life and experience, God the Father and God the Son, when you trust Christ, send God the Holy Spirit into your life. Why? To make it possible for you to always pray and to always be prayed for. Even when you don't know how to do it. Folks, in ending this series on prayer, Can I urge you? Can I beg you? Can I exhort you? Make the choice. Keep rowing. Because if you and I keep rowing, we will experience, we will know, we will enjoy the closeness that is offered to us by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The entire triune God wants this for you. Please make the choice. Let's pray.